Well, friends, good morning. It's lovely to see you. Uh, welcome this morning. And uh, if you are new, it's lovely to have you uh, with us. I'd love to um, uh, begin just by thinking about what we as a church hope for, uh, what we long for as a community together. Um, if any of you were at New Wine this summer, you'd have heard, or, or if you were in the arena, you'd have heard Rend Collective. They're an uh, Irish uh, worship team that get tour around different places. And they have a particular song which um, reflects something of what we hope for as a church. And I want to link that in this morning to um, this uh, passage. So just for the next, it lasts about four minutes, just for the next four minutes, if we could... Um, just watch this and the lyrics are going to come up on the screen as it's played. Thanks. Come set your rule and reign In our hearts again Increase in us we pray Unveil why we're made Come set our hearts ablaze With hope like wildfire in our very souls Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives for you. Our joy and prize to see the captive hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church. We pray, revive this earth.
So, they were fun at New Wine. But the, the wording is great. Our hope, our hope is that God will build his kingdom here, that we as a church will be part of that, part of being used to see God's kingdom come. But the key thing about that is, if that is our prayer, that, that God's kingdom comes through the church, the church is us. <laughs> so it's really important that, that we're in the right place, that we as individuals play our part in being in the right place to see God's kingdom come. If, if the church really is the hope of the world, if it's through the church community that Christ's message will come, that his gospel will be made known, then it's really important that we, each and, individ, each and every one of us, play our part in that. Over the next two weeks, I'm going to be looking at this story of the, the lost son. It's the story of two boys um, uh, who... Um, uh, do things wrong, but more than that, it's also the story of a father who's searching and looking and hoping that both those boys would come to the fullness of life that is only found in Christ. And I guess, like this story, our hearts are also to help people to find the fullness of life that they can find in uh, their Heavenly Father. Um, as a church, we stand for this. We stand for helping people find faith, find fullness of life, find life in Christ our Savior. So I want to look at this story, but before we, you know the story well probably, and we'll go through this first part today, but before we pour judgment on uh, either of these boys, um, I think it's uh, it's, it's good to begin by saying that actually it's easy for us to be in their place. It's easy for us also to be in that far off place. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place of drifting away from God, of not being as close as you wish you could be. I think that's probably true of everybody at certain points. Uh, you know, we know God, we'd, we'd like to know him more, we, we look up to those who, whose lives really reflect him, and, and in a sense we look at them and think they just, they know God so closely, I wish I knew him that closely, I wish I were I was as affected as that in my life. So it's easy for us to be there, I don't know if you've ever found yourself questioning things you haven't questioned before, that isn't a bad thing, it's good and healthy to have questions and to bring them to the table. But do you find yourself in a place where you've just become less enamored, less excited about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe someone who claimed to be a Christian has hurt you and that deep hurt has stopped you from drawing close to your Heavenly Father. Maybe you found it just too difficult to live by the by the framework of Christian living, what it means to, to live a good life. Maybe you're just tr tired of trying to be good all the time. The thing is this, we all know that it's possible to know God and yet be far from him. We all know that. It's possible to know God and to know what's right in life, but in our hearts to be far from him. We all know what it's like to drift at different times. And of course, we never mean it to happen. But somewhere along the way in our lives, we can make a wrong choice. We can, we can do something that, that takes us away from God. And this story is about these young guys 
and uh, uh, it's one that relates to all of us. So it's the first one that we're looking at today is about a young man who made a wrong decision and it's called the prodigal son. Uh, Many people define this as the greatest story ever told in scripture. Um, The parable is a story of a father with two sons. A young son feels restricted living at home. If anybody's got a teenager in the house, you'll know that teenagers often feel restricted living at home. They want to expand their life view and and, uh, stretch themselves further. Uh, Restricted by living under his father's rule, perhaps being put down by his rather irritating, obedient older brother. And so he feels that he wants to stretch himself out further. He wants to do things differently. So he demands his inheritance from his father. And taking the money, he leaves home and travels far away. And he spends every penny he's got on what's described as wild living. Parties day and night, women on both arms, the good life, the fast lane, whatever you want to call it. That's what he thought he had. He buys what he wants, whenever he wants, in the best restaurants, now dining out uh, with uh, friends. Then his money runs out and he finds himself penniless and being far from home, too far to get help. He attaches himself to a farmer who allows him to feed his pigs and, and His life takes a complete change. From having eaten in the best restaurants, he now finds himself dining with the pigs. How did he get there? What were the steps that meant that he drifted away from home? Four things that meant he drifted away from home. Firstly, he was selfish. He selfishly wanted everything he thought was his. He demanded, he demanded it from his father. Give me my money, he says. Forget you, forget my family, forget my brothers, forget my reputation, forget my responsibilities. Give me my money now so that I can get out of here. We may not say it so starkly in our lives, or maybe it's not said so starkly in many homes, but in many different ways, other people say the same thing. I just want to do my thing. I want to have it my way because it's me who's important. Something uh, burns deep down within us that says that we should be able to do whatever we want to do. The first step to ending up in the pigsty is a very common step for us all. It's just living a selfish life. The second thing that, that he did that meant he drifted away from God was that he wasted what he had. The word prodigal means to waste. When he left, he had no intention of coming home. He took all his money with him. And if you remember, he wasn't planning on coming back. Waste is one of the weaknesses of our society today. We feel that we can just do what we want with what we have, and we have every right to do so. My generation and that the generation above me knows that the legacy of waste from our generations inflicted on the next generation is a terrible thing. That actually there's a, there's a time bomb still waiting to explode with the way in which we've wasted the world's uh, resources and uh, uh, financially wasted as we've lived with such wealth, such easy, easy life actually in so many ways. 
and uh, the next generation are going to find it much harder. And a lot of that isn't, it's not their fault, it's, it's actually our fault. It's a, uh, an uneducated view of waste. But here's this young man. He wasted everything that he had. Thirdly, he separated himself from every relationship that was important to him. By leaving, he broke his relationship with his father and his brother and I guess his mother as well. He left his family and friends and rejected everything that was good and right and holy. All of that went out of the window. I can't emphasize enough the importance of relationships because it's relationships that keep us on track. We all need our friends. We all need those who will help us, keep, help us to keep walking in the will of God. That's why we encourage life groups here. That's why we encourage people to be in relationship with others. That's why we as a church talk about community all the time. We're a family that holds one another accountable, that encourages one another to do the things of God. And we help one another to walk well in life. This young man broke himself off from those relationships. Just wanted to do his thing. And, and, and fourthly, the young man made a long list of bad decisions. Sin so often works that way, doesn't it? One bad decision leads to another bad decision. So first you tell a lie, and then you have to tell another one to cover up the first one. Then you have to tell another one to cover up the second one, and so on. And, and soon you don't know what you're saying. Sin always leads to more sin. And once you start making bad decisions, it's almost as though you can't stop. And before long, you're 15 to 20 bad decisions down the road. And it's the hardest thing in life to turn back the other way, to say, I got it wrong. Interestingly, in this story, there's a famine in the land. And I just want to paint a picture here. Whenever you leave the will of God, I think it leads to famine in our lives. It always looks good, a land flowing with milk and honey. It always looks as though the grass is greener on the other side. It looks like you can enjoy the pleasures of sin and separation for a season. But after a while, the money will run out. The music will stop and the beautiful people get bored of you and you can end up broken and penniless. I can't tell you how many people that Lindsay and I have spoken to who wish they hadn't left their husband or wife, who wish they hadn't made the decisions they'd made, who would love to turn the clock back. Actually, what you've got is very precious. Who you are in your family, with your friends, in your community is very precious. We spoke recently to a couple who uh, moved out, actually moved out to the countryside. They moved out for a nice big house, that's what they wanted, and everything else. And uh, we were speaking to them this summer, and they said, we wish, if we could turn the clock back, we wish we could. We wish we'd stayed where we were, with our community, with our people. Actually, that's what we realize is important. And since moving away, they said, we've got, we've got everything that looks good, but now it feels terrible. We're more lonely than we've ever been. That's, that's the reality. Actually, the community is more important than we realize. Life changes for this son when he hits rock bottom. It says this in verse 17. It says, when he finally came to his senses. When he finally came to his senses. 
when he finally came to his senses, something finally woke within him. Something told him he'd gone wrong. Something said, I need to change. He woke up to his selfishness. He turned away. He had turned away from sacrifice and embraced selfishness. He turned away from worth and embraced worthlessness. He turned away from value and embraced a false life. And it was probably the pain of hunger that made him come to his senses. What am I doing here? What, what we often have a gnawing inside us that tells us when we're not doing things right. And the first thing that brought this man to his senses was a gnawing inside. I wish I'd, I wish I'd not ended up in the situation that I was. A gnawing hunger, an awareness that life shouldn't be carrying this pain. The second thing that brought him to his senses made him turn, and made him turn back was repentance. He's realized he'd done wrong and so he made a decision to turn back again. He said, oh, I'm going to turn back. I'm going to make a decision to turn back to my father. He said he was going to turn around and go back and change his life and embrace again the goodness of home. And being repentant to ourselves isn't quite enough, but he says that he's going to go back and be honest. He's going to go back and say, I've done wrong. Being honest, embracing honesty again. I'll go back and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and earth. You know that you're really serious about changing your life? when we're really honest about our lives. When we stop making excuses for our behavior and embrace our own issues. Just think what the younger son could have said. He could have gone home and said, I left because of that irritating older brother who was always so good. Or I left because, Father, you were too restrictive in the way in which you brought us up. I left because I would have been all right when I'd gone if there'd just been a bit more money and it hadn't run out. I could have weathered the famine. Or other people robbed me on my travels. It wasn't my fault, but other people did wrong to me. He could have had all sorts of excuses, but he didn't. He says, I have sinned. I've gone wrong. I've taken the wrong turn. I shouldn't have left. You know, when we stop making excuses for our failures, we're not far from finding the fullness of life. We're not far from embracing all that God has in store for us. And the fourth thing I see is his humility, that this young man returns. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, he says. I've done so much wrong. He didn't come back making a great big deal of it. He didn't come back presuming on his father's love and generosity he came back saying that he was really sorry for where he'd gone wrong and would his father think of hiring him as a paid uh, employee if we drift away then it takes a big decision to come back but it takes a decision to come back and to recommit our life to the way of God I'm going to stay strong and live my life for God. I choose to come to my senses, to repent of what I've done wrong, to be honest about it, and I'll come in humility to my father. And so that's what this son did. It would certainly be easy, wouldn't it, to criticize the prodigal son for all that he did wrong? But there's also a lot of good in this guy. 
He just made a few wrong decisions. Like everybody can, like all of us can in life, we can all make wrong decisions. He just made a few wrong decisions, but he chose to put it right. There's a lot of good in everybody. And so often we, we just make a few wrong decisions. And he comes back and he says, I want to live life God's way. And notice this. He doesn't put off till tomorrow what he could do today. He made a decision and he gets up and he returns home. I need to put this right, he says. I'm going to do it. Friends, I don't know where each of you are in your faith in God. But I do know that we want to be a church that is sold out for God. We want to be a church that makes a difference in our community. We want to be a church that makes a difference in the nation, actually. We want to be a church that that makes a difference in what we do and what we stand for. And we can only do that if we, all of us, choose to say... I commit to doing it God's way. I commit to being sold out for him in my life. I commit to seeing his kingdom come. I commit to living for his purpose. And you know the hardest step in coming back is always the first step. The journey of a thousand miles starts with just one step. But look at the welcome that he received when he came back it's choosing to do that thing. I, uh, um, because my, we, we had my daughter's wedding, we had quite a lot of cake in our house to eat. And so um, uh, we had cake on that day, and then the next day there was cake. And I, we went on holiday, and Lindsay brought boxes of cake for three days. And so I came back from I was like, I sitting in the car driving back from Devon. I was thinking, I feel so terrible. I've eaten too much cake. And so the next morning, next morning at about 6.30, I, I, I tend to get up about then. I got up at 6.30. I thought, well, I, I think I really I should go for a run. Then I went downstairs and made a cup of tea. And I thought, really, really I should go for a run. I should go for a run. And I sat down drinking my tea and I thought, really I should go for a run. And then I went to look for my trainers and I couldn't find them. I thought, that's such a relief. I don't have to go for a run. And I thought, I'll just, just have a little look, just see if they might be in the cupboard in the hall. And I opened the cupboard in the hall and the wretched trainers were there and I thought, right, I'd better go for a run then. And as I was putting on my shorts and shorts, I was thinking, this just feels terrible. I'm going to waddle around the park. I just feel terrible. And I got out, you know, you, you get out and I thought, it was the first few steps that were the hardest. Then when you get going, you think, oh, this is all right, actually. This is all right. And you come back and you think, I feel better for this. Of course, you're knackered for the rest of the day, but you think, I feel better for this. The first step is the hardest. We know what we should do. It's just trying to do it. That's the key thing. But when we do it, when we do it, we always feel good because of it. And the Bible says this, when he was still a long way off, our Heavenly Father pursues us. He'll see us when we're a long way off. He looks out for us. When we're a long way off, it says the Father saw him. That's a great moment. I think the Father sees us when we first make the decision, I'm going to put my trainers on. I'm going to turn back. I'm going to repent of how I've been living. I'm going to choose to live my life God's way. And it says he saw him in a distance and moved with compassion. 
He lifted up his robe and he ran. And he ran to meet his son. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. And the father restores the son with five things. Firstly, he kisses him, a sign of forgiveness. I, I embrace you back. That's a lovely thing, isn't it? I embrace you back into the family. Secondly, he puts a robe around him, a sign of honor. Thirdly, he puts a ring on his finger, a sign of authority. Don't come back as a servant. Come back as a son of mine. You know, it says, it says in Romans that we're adopted into the family of God, that we're, we're called children of God. 1 John 3 says, says how great the love the Father has lavished upon us, for we're his children. We're the children of God. He says, come back, you're my children. That's a lovely picture. That actually as we return to the Father, he puts that, he, he greets us with that kiss. He would put that robe on us and he puts a ring on our finger. He puts sandals on our feet, a sign of freedom. And then he throws a feast for him, a sign of joyful welcome and celebration. And, 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 and for every story told in, in Luke 15, there's a great celebration in heaven when that that is lost is found. I think God throws parties. He throws parties for the good news that people have been found. Someone, um, a, 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 a woman came to me this summer when we were at New Wine. She came up to the front of uh, the main air, main venue, so there was about six thousand people in that venue. She came out the front of the venue, and she came. She said she wanted to ask me a question, and I was, she um, she asked me. She said, "Mark, how much do you think God actually loves us?" I've got no idea what I said to her, but I said something to her. But as I remembered that this week, as I was thinking about this, how much does God actually loves us? Well, this is how much God loves us. He loves us enough to let you go if you really want to let go. He loves you enough. He doesn't want to hold on to you. You're not a prisoner to our Heavenly Father. He loves you enough to let you go. But he loves you enough also to let you hit rock bottom. And for some of us, that's what's required in life. That we hit rock bottom, and just, you know, just, we need God. We need God. But he loves you enough also to let you come back. And as you come back, he will greet you with a, with a kiss. He would put a, a robe around you. He would put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. He would say, welcome home. Welcome home. And he loves you so much that actually our Heavenly Father would run out and greet you. It just takes the first turn. I'll come back to God. For God to say, I'll come meet you. I'll come meet you where you are. He doesn't expect you to get to where he is. He just says, I'll come meet you where you are. Whatever's going on in your life, I'll come meet you where you are. That's how much God loves you. So I don't know about you, but I just want to ask some questions of us. Are you, are you hungry for more of God? Then, then God says, come home to me. Are you thirsty for more of God? Then God says, come home to me. Are you weary of trying to make life work? Then God says, come home to me. Have you wandered from God? Then God says, come home from me. The first step is always the hardest. And friends, over this next term, we as a church, we want to have an absolute focus on inviting people to come and find that fullness of life that can only be found 
in our Heavenly Father, to come home to God. And most important in that step is we invite others into that journey is that we ourselves have made that response. That we've said, I'll come home to God. I'll ensure that I'm fully on fire for my Heavenly Father. That we ourselves have our feet firmly rooted in the kingdom of God. And maybe, just maybe this morning, there's a tugging on your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you again this morning just to renew your acquaintance. Just to say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm all yours. Don't let me drift. Don't let me be one of those who slips away. But firmly root me in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, that we might see your kingdom come through the church. Let's stand together, shall we?